a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Starlight Beacon, a Star Wars High Republic podcast, where we all know that Monster Squad is better than Goonies. My name is Gary, and as always, I am joined by the Rudy Librarian himself, Brian Canberra. Never said your name out loud, so I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. How's it going, Brian? I'm doing great, and you pronounced it perfectly. I'd like to point out that the reason he let in with that Monster Squad Goonies thing is today I am wearing a glorious shirt. That is a uh, Goonies ska crossover with the Skolan, Skolan uh, instead of crossbones, we've got trombones. Uh, I'm sure you would have preferred a saxophone. And it says, Rudy's never say die. So I actually love that design. Um, we were almost, Backyard Superheroes, the band I play in, were close to naming one of our albums, Rudy's Never Say Die, um, or just Backyard Superheroes Never Say Die. But um, we did not. So Because <laughs> you were like... Because you were like, the Goonies is awful, guys. Forget it. <laughs> it's, it's still a cool reference. I don't know if anyone out there knows the background superheroes, but all of our album titles are references to movies. We have Fallen with Style. Do you know what that's from, Brian? Uh, man, it, I definitely know it, but I can't place it right now. It's from Toy Story. We oh, have yeah. um, Let's Get Dangerous, which is from Darkwing Duck. And Never Give Up, Never Surrender. I know that one, too. But, again... I should, I should start out by saying my mind is not functioning at tip-top shape today. I am a little bit tired, and uh, it's a side effect. I got my second vaccine yesterday, mm, uh, nice. So, which I'm very happy to have my second COVID vaccine. My understanding is this is a pretty common side effect, just being a little run down, and I'll be back to normal tomorrow. The shot didn't hurt. I'm not feeling bad or anything. Just a little tired. Awesome. That's awesome to hear. I have not gotten mine yet, but looking forward to that. Never give up, never surrender is from Galaxy Quest, by the way. And um, oh, <laughs> so we are uh, a little delayed on releasing this podcast. Um, there's a lot going on in the world, as, as usual. There's always stuff going on. Um, from a practical purpose, I was not able to get into the dark until a little late. My pre-order was delayed. Um, and this is a long book. It's a lot longer than I thought it was. So it took me a little while to get through. But also, um, both Brian and I have been dealing with some weather issues. Um, I know specifically down in Texas, you guys have been having kind of a tough time down there. What's going on? Yeah, well, we're on the upswing now, but we have uh, had um, we had you know record-setting low temperatures. You know, days that got down to negative one. We're used to 111, you know, in the summer, but negative one is not normal for us. Um, we had. Uh, really, it wasn't like crazy snow. I mean, we had like four inches maybe uh, here where I live in DFW. Um, but our power grid was not prepared to handle uh, all the energy that was being put out by homes trying to keep themselves warm. Our homes are designed to keep the heat out, not keep it in. 
And uh, they have chosen our, also in Texas, our power grid is completely independent of the rest of the country because we like to separate ourselves from the country as often as possible. <laughs> it seems uh, to be not, a Texas thing, huh? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like it's something that paid off, you know, uh, but and they have it's privatized. So it's a it's, it's a private company that runs our electrical grid and they have chosen not to winterize our electrical grid ever even though we had like a major power outage in 2011 during the Super Bowl. Um, and uh, so this was a crazy power outages, people without electricity for four or five days. Like my mom went like three, four days without electricity. And then, you know, it's getting down to, you know, negative degrees. People's homes were in their thirties and forties. People froze to death in their homes. Um, my mom was able to go to my sister's house for a little while. And then, uh, she came home when her neighbor said their power came back on and walked in the door, flipped a light switch, and none of the lights worked. And the power had just gone out again, <laughs> and it was out for two more days. Wow. Uh, lots of people had uh, water pipes that broke because uh, just the water freezing. Our, our pipes aren't buried as far down in the ground as northern states. Um, so massive damage to homes. Uh, boil notices because our water filtration systems froze up and couldn't work. So people had to boil their water. That's still going on. Pipes bursting and, and, and people boiling their water, that's still going on, but we're getting closer to better. Um, and so we're hoping, uh, one, you know, I just want, we wanted to make sure we mentioned this on the podcast because we want to make sure that the people who have been suffering here in my state and other states uh, like mine, uh, know that we we care and uh, you know all the best thoughts and prayers to them and and uh, and then two is uh, you know we hope that this will be something that will change in the future as well you know and obviously it it affected me um, I'm a teacher so we had a, a week that we didn't have school uh, it's just funny you know we had like four inches of snow and canceled school for a week. And I and you and I, I was talking to you through text message, and you were like, "Yeah, we had a snow day today. It was like Thursday or something." I was like, "Why'd you have a snow day? How much did it snow?" And you're like, "I don't know, like twelve inches or something." I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, we're a little bit more accustomed to that here in New Jersey." But I've been following um, along, thinking of you, thinking of your friends and family, making sure. Hope, good to hear that everyone you know is is okay. But um, like you said, thoughts and prayers out to everybody down there in Texas. Hopefully, um, get through this soon. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm glad that glad we're on the upswing. Things are getting back to normal. Kids are going back to school in my school district tomorrow. Hopefully, um, those that need to take care of their home, we're going to have grace to allow them to manage what they need to in their homes. So, good. So hopefully, we can offer some uh, escapism, even if it's for an hour or so, talking about uh, the galaxy far, far away and everything that's going on mm -hmm. there. Um, and there is a lot going on in, in Star Wars news that we have to talk about and talk through. Um, it's been two weeks. Of yeah, I think two weeks since our last episode, and a lot's been announced, a lot's happened. Star Wars has been in the news for, for good things and for some not-so-good things, which is unfortunate. But um, we'll jump into some of those, those, those news topics, and then we'll get into our main topic today, which is a very good thing, so we're looking forward to that. So up front, um, we'll get the, the bad news out of the way. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily say bad news, but just the, you know, the thing that Star Wars was in the news for um, in a negative light over the past two weeks, and that was the firing of Gina Carano from The Mandalorian. Um, Brian and I have, were talking about this offline, and we both agreed we liked her character. I think she was a great character playing Cara Dune there on The Mandalorian. 
Um, was looking forward to her leading her own spinoff in, uh, I think it's called Rangers of the New Republic. From what I understand, that was going to be a, a show that was Caradoon centric, where she was, if not the lead, one of the, the main characters. So a, a lot was going to come from that character. But um, without talking too much politics, I think that Lucasfilm and Disney did the right thing here by um, separating themselves from Gina Carano based on some of the social media comments that she made that were um, insensitive and uh, not uh, not representing her or, or Disney or Lucasfilm in the best light. So I personally believe they made the right call there, removing her. It's a bummer that uh, we're going to lose Cara Dune. Um, I think they announced they will not recast her. So saw some really funny memes about uh, how they can handle that. But um, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I want to say on that. You got anything on there, Brian? The only two things that I guess I would add is number one, we if we haven't made it clear, we want to be real clear that we support diversity and inclusion of every race, religion, ethnicity, you know, sexual preference, gender identity, all that. We're we we support people. We love people. Um, okay. Number two is uh, as a teacher, something that I'm having to learn to teach my kids is. Uh, my and by the way, as a teacher, we call our students our kids. So uh, something that I'm, I'm learning to teach my kids is that they need to be aware of how they use social media because yeah. companies, colleges, they look at that stuff before they hire you. They look at that stuff when you're employed by them. And as much as, yes, we do support free speech as well, um, when you work for somebody, you represent them whether you want to or not at times. And so you have to be very careful about how you talk on social media. So um, that's a, that's a valid point. I, uh, I work in human resources. So a lot of, you know, I've had those instances in my career where someone has made statements on their personal social media, but has also identified themselves as an employee of the company that I work for. And then of course that conflicts what our beliefs are as a company. So you have to make those, those employment decisions. Um, so I've been, I don't want to say obvious compare myself to the situation here, but I've had to make decisions where I've separated people based on comments they've made on social media um, that do not reflect what the company believes. So yeah, absolutely, Brian, to your point, we, we support um, everybody. Uh, we, are pe we support people. Um, and that's in the vein of Star Wars. Star Wars is a very inclusive media franchise. And even in the galaxy, it's extremely inclusive. So um, moving on to uh, some good news in the Star Wars world. A lot of new announcements for some upcoming projects this year. So a lot of fun stuff coming this year. We are being spoiled with Star Wars. So aside from the High Republic, we have a ton of books coming out. Um, no movie this year, but a ton of books. Um, we have the Boba Fett show coming at the end of the year. No release date yet for Mandalorian season three. That might be next year. We're not sure yet. We have Bad Batch coming out. So just so much going on. But some new announcements that came out this week. In the video game world, a new video game called Star Wars Hunters was announced for the Switch. I think it's a Switch exclusive. It is a free-to-play open-world game. We don't know what that means. It's uh, kind of in the vein of Fortnite, which a lot of the kids are into these days. I tried it once. I hated it. So um, that's the grouchy old man in me. I was like, I died immediately. I don't get this. I don't want to play this anymore. Um, I'm just not a big online gamer. But this is Star Wars. So I am definitely going to be on board for this. Looks like you can uh, create a character. There's a lot of customization. Um, it might be an in-canon game from what we, I've been hearing already, uh, that it takes place in between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens. So really excited for Star Wars Hunters to come out. Um, Brian does not have a Switch, but uh, we'll work on getting him one so him and I can play that game with everybody out there. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm always down to try stuff. Uh, I, I definitely get the old man thing. You know, uh, I think back, back when uh, the Wii came out and the Mario game that came with Wii, I was like, this is so fast. I can't keep up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually playing uh, Mario Galax- Galaxy right now. Mario Galaxy. I don't know why I call it Mario. Mario Galaxy. Some people say Mario. Some people say Mario. I'm a Mario guy. Sounds like you're a Mario guy. Um, so Mario Galaxy, which was a Wii game. I'm playing that on my Switch right now. It's my favorite game ever. I'm also playing, I got really into uh, my Game Boy Advance and playing games for my Game Boy Advance. And there's a ton of Star Wars games that were released for Game Boy Advance, like a ton. So I found them all on eBay and bought them all in the past couple months. Every single Star Wars game that was for Game Boy Advance. I think there's seven, believe it or not. Um, And I'm playing through them. I'm currently playing one called Star Wars Trilogy Apprentice of the Force. And it is excellent. That is my recommendation for the day. Play Star Wars Trilogy Apprentice of the Force for your Game Boy Advance, folks. It was released um, 20 years ago. It's awesome. Did you ever play that game, Brian? I have never had any kind of Game Boy, so I have not played that game. Okay. And and oh. in my home, we're still uh, deeply tied to Jedi Fallen Order, which my son is replaying over and over and over again. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, it's a great game. I was just at uh, Josh, who's the back, the singer of Backyard Superheroes House, yesterday, writing some new Backyard tunes, and he was playing Fallen Order, and I was like hanging out with him, watching him play, and I'm like, oh, I need to play this again. I gotta play this game again. It's awesome. Um, aside from video games, we got a new comic book uh, announced called uh, called Bounty Hunter Wars. Yes, that's what it is. War of the Bounty Hunters, and War it's, of the it's, Bounty Hunters. it's it's not tied into High Republic. But it is not tied into High Republic. Yes, should specify that. So War of the Bounty Hunters by Charles Soule, who is tied into uh, High Republic. We've talked a lot about his comic book writing um, here on the show. Uh, we've both praised how good he is in the comic book world. And of course, he knocked it out of the park with Light of the Jedi. So excited to read that. I'm not the biggest Boba Fett fan, but it seems like Boba Fett's going to be the anchor of this uh, comic. I think it's a spinoff of the Star Wars Bounty Hunter run that's currently going on, which I am reading, which is pretty good. Um, so that's coming out in the spring. I don't know if they gave a release date yet for that, did they? Uh, I didn't. They may have, but I didn't hear it exactly. So, mm, okay, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it more when it comes out. And then the last thing that just got announced at the end of the week, which I'm extremely excited for, is a new E.K. Johnson book, Queen's Hope, which is coming out November second. So E.K. Johnson has written some really excellent uh, YA level books for the new Star Wars canon. Um, she wrote the Ahsoka book, which is excellent. Um, and then she's written now a trilogy of Padme books. Um, the first being uh, Queen's Shadow, then Queen's Peril, and now Queen's Hope. And what's interesting about each of those books is they kind of um, mirror the prequel trilogy. So Queen's Shadow is right before Attack of the Clones, and Queen's Peril is right before Phantom Menace. And now Queen's Hope looks like it's going to be taking place during the Clone Wars right before Revenge of the Sith. So extremely excited for that. I've really enjoyed the other two books. Padme's a character I like a lot. Um, and The Handmaiden, they've really fleshed out a lot of the handmaidens um, that we see accompany Padme in the prequel trilogy. So looking forward to that. That comes out November 2nd. Have you read those uh, Padme books? Uh, yes. Real quick, uh, War of the Bounty Hunters, June is the launch of that. So... And then, uh, yes, I've read those. I really, really love them. I actually, I love, I've loved all of E.K. Johnson's books in the in the canon. And uh, I've loved both of the two Padme books. I'm really excited about this book. It, what's what's weird about it is it's re- in an era where that's been really explored because of the cartoon. So sure. I'm interested to see how she does that without, uh, you know, 
overlapping too much. So, well, I, I think that's that's kind of interesting too because Padme is is so prominent in the Clone Wars cartoon. To your point, um, but in her other two books, she does overlap. Like uh, Queen's Peril goes is like half of it's Phantom Menace, which I think is interesting. Yeah, that's true. That yeah. Um, so the end of the year, it looks like we're getting a couple Star Wars books too, because we got uh, Queen's Hope and the Mandalorian book. I don't know. We haven't talked about that on the show. Is uh, there's a Mandal- Mandalorian adult novel? I don't think it's an adaptation of the show. I think it's a standalone novel that's coming out in November as well. Uh, they haven't announced a title for that. You are right. It is coming out. I think in November, and like like I think you may have just said that, but uh, yeah, there's not much given but it's definitely ties into the series and it's definitely original story so that's cool really excited for that um some other release dates in the next few weeks of things coming out we have the next star wars novel which is like it's so much content all the time is victory's price and that's coming out march 2nd um and that is the conclusion to the alphabet squadron trilogy behind i haven't read shadow fall yet but brian and i were talking he said it's excellent with a very good ending so i'm looking forward to that um, but that book should be uh, really exciting. That's a fun little story there, the Alphabet Squadron story. Um, I just love the, the covers and the artwork. It's, it's really well done. I have all of those digital, though, and I kind of regret it. I wish I had, had gotten physical copies because they're beautiful-looking books. Yeah, and, and, and Alexander Freed definitely knocked it out of the park with those. I'm super excited. The second book had like a – the ending was 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 fire, <laughs> as, as the youth say. And uh, I'm, I'm eager – to see the the third, you know where they go from here. Yeah, it's a cross between the uh, give me give me or take take my money meme and the uh, I got to get a second job to keep up financially. Plus, just trying to keep up with all the reading. This is where the audiobooks really come in handy because they're phenomenal. The audiobooks in Star Wars are phenomenal, and uh, man, it's hard to read a new book every month. But I want to. I want to read them all. And you and I are both completionists, so we want the hardcover ones. And, you know, I, I have some on audiobook, but uh, I really want to have a physical book, especially those Alphabet Squadron runs. It's a big regret for me. But you know what? We're getting a little bit of a reprieve, and I was actually, like, not happy about it. But I think after Victory's Price, then we don't have a new book until Thrawn in May. So we get, like, two months off. So that's not that's not so bad. I can read some no. other stuff. The only – there is the um, Dr. Afra Omnibus, but that's, like uh, – just a new version of something that's already been released. So it's just all yes. collected. And that's I've like, read that already. So I think I can take a break from it. And then we just have to read our monthly comics. Yeah. But knowing Star Wars, they'll drop some, a bunch of cool stuff. I'm like, oh, I can't. They just like want to monopolize all of your reading time, you know? That's right. Which is tough when they're also putting out things like WandaVision on Disney Plus, And you're like, look, look here. You own both these play- these companies and you're yes. killing me. Yes. And then we have Falcon and Lunar Soldier coming. And hopefully Bad Batch is going to be coming out sometime this spring. They haven't announced that title, uh, that release date yet. So uh, moving on, we have our, our, our new issues of Marvel uh, number three and IDW High Republic Adventures number two are going to be coming out March 3rd. So looking forward to those. So March 2nd, we have Victory's Price. March 3rd, we have two new comics. Disney just taking my money. And then finally, two other new announcements. The Marvel Collection, uh, Volume 1, is uh, collecting issues 1 through 6. That's coming out August 17th. So if you are in the graphic novel or collection uh, comic book fandom, where you prefer to read it as a collection as opposed to issue by issue, or if you like both, which I know Brian and I both do, um, that is coming out August 17th. And then the first volume of IDW, Hyrule Take that back. 
first volume of IDW High Republic Adventures is November 9th, and that is issues one through five. So um, I will probably get those. Even though I have issue to issue, I'll probably get the collections. Will you? Yeah, the trade paperbacks, or if they come out with oversized hardcovers, they look so much better on the bookshelf next to the uh, other hardcovers. They really do. Um, and I'm doing, I think I've said it on here, I'm doing the digital comicsology versions of the comics. So having them physical would be nice too. And I, one other thing I'm super excited for too is the Life Day Treasury, which ties into High Republic. Then um, we know it's going to have a High Republic story. I'm not sure how much of it is going to be High Republic focused, which is exciting. That comes out September 7th to get us ready for uh, jumping into the holiday season. I've already had my pre, I have mine pre-ordered, so I'm excited for that. Let's keep it going. Keep 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 sending us the goods, and we'll keep buying them. We really will. I'll. Uh, get anything that they send me last night i was uh needed to read a book to my daughter as she was going to sleep and we read the great jedi rescue for like the fifth time <laughs> i love that but did you get that one yet i did yeah yeah i want to get a second copy just so i can take the stickers out of one of them because the stickers are really cool yeah and i kind of want to get a second copy so that i can let my kids have one and good one point. can be yeah. mine yeah yeah good point take the stickers out of your kids copy like That's i want to I want a I want a loading great storm sticker on like my laptop or something. That would be really cool. So it's five bucks. Maybe I'll get one. Here, I'll make you a deal, Brian. We're making this deal right now. You buy me an extra copy of Great Jedi Rescue, I'll get you a switch. How about that? Fair. Done. <laughs> Wait, I need to cut and edit that part out so it's not legally binding and you can't hold me to that. <laughs> so that's all we got going on in Star Wars news. I think I didn't I didn't miss anything, right? Not that I know of. All right, cool. So uh, we are a half hour into our show, and we can finally talk about our main topic today, book that uh, I think both you and I have said is our most anticipated book so far um, in this series, and most anticipated book I've had in a long time, and that is Into the Dark by our favorite Star Wars author. I don't have a problem saying that. We love all of them, but Claudia Gray is just is knocks that out of the park every time. So Into the Dark by Claudia Gray. Um, whew, this was a doozy. Yeah, there were a lot of things in this book that I did not anticipate the way that she was going to do them, and I loved them. This book had, it had, you know, heart wrenching. It had hope. It had, you know, the because it's young adult. It had the coming of age thing, which is really important. It had grief, and it had the weird. We were like, we oh, we've yeah. talked about. We're fans of the weird. This book really brought the weird. So. <laughs> This, uh, we're going to give a plot summary in a few minutes, uh, and it took me a long time to write a plot summary, but you really said it. This, this book had a lot. You could have entered, ended your sentence right there, because that's the best way to describe this book. This book has a lot. We knew with the High Republic, they're going to have to introduce a lot of new characters, a lot of new uh, concepts and planets and, and et cetera, but this book really just throws everything at you. Um, and I, I'm here for it. I really am. I like that. Um, my first observation before we jump into too much discussion, um, if you have not read any YA books or any YA Star Wars book, this one is a good one to start with um, because, in my opinion, this is the most YA Star Wars book ever written. It literally is probably targeted towards teenagers and tells the story of teenagers. We have a character who goes to a party and gets drunk. We've never seen that before in a Star Wars book. Remember, Reef goes to like his going away party, and I just just remember that today. I'm like, oh yeah, he gets like really like drunk at that party. 
Um, there's discussions on sex, which we've never had in a Star Wars book before. Um, there's a lot uh, of new concepts that we've never really seen in Star Wars before. I wrote one down here. We have a character, say the word skedaddle. Never saw that in Star Wars before. And I, I was like, that's really cool. I needed to write that down that someone says skedaddle. And Reef talks, uh, we'll talk about who Reef is in a second, if you don't know, um, talks about, he says the word cool, and he said something is not cool, which the concept of cool is in Star Wars, which I thought was fun. But uh, that's all to say that there's a lot of YA in this book, and I'm, I'm totally here for it. Yeah, and oh, we talked about this too. I really enjoy all the Star Wars. I, I actually have, <laughs> when I say that, I just think of like fanboys. Come on, bro, it's the wars. <laughs> <laughs> but the... Uh, I love all of Star Wars, but for me, being a, a, I used to be a junior high teacher, now I'm a high school teacher, and I'm working on, you know, I just finished my degree to be a, a high school librarian or, or a secondary, really I could be any school librarian, but I'm aiming for secondary. Um, I tend to read a lot of YA because I'm trying to get my kids to love books, and so I need to introduce them to books that they would be drawn to. And uh, so, I, so I love the YA in Star Wars, and this is definitely high on the list, so... Just a side note, shameless plug for a very good friend of mine. Um, I went to high school with uh, someone who's now a YA author, a published YA author, Phoebe North. She wrote the book Starglass. Um, and I don't remember what the sequel's name is, but would love to see if she would want to join us one day to discuss some YA because she's uh, she's working on her, I think, her fourth YA book now. Um, it was pretty cool to see somebody you went to high school with. Her book was actually in Target, and I'm like, well, that's really neat. Um, but YA is cool. I dig YA books. I read the I read the Hunger Games in the day. I really liked that first book, and that second book. I liked those two of the trilogy. <laughs> I, I, I liked a lot of the third book, but I did not like the ending. So I'm with you on that. And I haven't I haven't read the the new prequel. Yeah, that that this is just going off off topic for a second. Those first two books I consumed in like a day each. Like literally, I thought those were excellent books. And then I got to that third book and I was so excited. And I, I don't think I've ever been more let down than a piece, by a piece of media before than Mockingjay. I, I did not like that book. So I don't think I want to live in that world anymore because of that. I don't think I would ever want to live in that world. <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, I guess I would not want to live in that world either. Um, I feel like I wouldn't do well in the Hunger Games. <laughs> I would not do well. I'd, I'd go in there and be like, Goonies sucks. And then I automatically get killed. That's right. That's 100% right. So let's talk about this world. Let's talk about Into the Dark. Are you ready for a plot summary? You can just sit back and uh, relax for the next 25 minutes as I give the condensed plot summary for the 425 pages of Into the Dark. This book was actually a little bit longer. Yeah, see ya, Ryan. This book was actually a little bit longer because they have the first uh, chapter of Out of the Shadows. I did not read it, though. Did you? No. I didn't either. I, don't. I like when they do that, but I usually don't read those. All right, let's get into Into the Dark. And as always, as we, we got to give that um, preface beforehand, character names are hard to uh, pronounce sometimes when we've never heard them said. But my friend did listen to this book on audiobook, and I asked him how to pronounce one character's name, and that was the captain of the vessel. How would you pronounce his name, Brian? Leox Giossi. What? You, are, you nailed it, Leox. Yes, it was Leox. I was tossing back and forth if it was like Lou. I thought it was Lou or Leo or, or Leah. Yeah, but Leox. He said that's how you pronounce it. So let's jump into it. 
Wreath Silas, the Padawan of Jedi Master Joramali, leans on the bookish, historical, and informative side of the Jedi Order. So he's dismayed when he, is lear when he learns that he's going to be sent across the galaxy to join his master at the Starlight Beacon. Wreath, reluctant to leave the comforts of Coruscant, meets up with the crew of the vessel, the ship that has been chartered to send him to the Starlight Beacon. The crew consists of Captain Leox Giasi, his co-pilot, Afi Hollow, and their navigator, Geode, who is a giant rock. I can't wait till we do the all Geode appreciation episode. The vessel belongs to the, the, the Bind, is it Bind or Burn? I wrote Burn, but I think it's Bind Guild. Bind Guild, a smuggler organization run by Afi's adopted step, stepmother, uh, Scover Bind. Also along for the trip are three other Jedi, Jedi Master Komak Vitus, Joramali's former Padawan and now Jedi Knight, Des Raiden, and Jedi Wayseeker, Orla Jurani. While on their journey, hyperspace becomes volatile thanks to the events of the Great Disaster. The, the crew is forced to come out of hyperspace and encounters other ships in similar peril. One of these ships is carrying the elderly Haig and Nan, a girl about the same age as Reef that grabs his attention. The vessel, along with other ships, seek refuge as, at an abandoned space station that once belonged to the Maxine race. The Jedi feel the dark side present on the station and find three idols that they believe are dark side relics. While exploring the station, Wreath saves Nan from being kidnapped. Affy finds smuggler's shorthand that leads her to believe that Scoverbine is putting her pilots at risk. And the crew finds that the station is overrun with plant life. Reef and Dez go deep into the station to explore where Dez is vaporized after falling into a helix ring. Hold back your tears, Brian. Hold back your tears. It's okay. Dez is, is going to be all right. Dismayed by the loss of their Jedi peer and the feeling of the dark side on board the Avaxian station, the crew returned to Coruscant with the three dark side idols in tow. However, each member of the crew is drawn back to the station, feeling they have unfinished, biz unfinished business there. Affy wants to find more clues about the misconduct of Vine that could link to her parents' death. So she, Leox, and Geode plan to return to the station. The Jedi want to find out more about the dark side presence, and the entire vessel crew head back out. However, while on Coruscant, Reef finds out that Nan and Haig were actually Nile, who are the beings and crew responsible for the great disaster. Back on the station, Reef falls into the same pod that seemingly destroyed Dez and is transported to another planet where he encounters the Drenger. Drengir? How did you pronounce that? Drengir is how I pronounce Drengir. it. Drengir, okay. A plant-like species that has been at war with the Amaxines. The pod that Reef fell into is actually a hyperspace pod used by the Amaxines during their battle with the Drengir. Reef finds, also finds that Dez is still alive, being tortured by the Drengir. Aboard the station, Orla and Komak understand that the idols that they took were not the dark side, were actually keeping the Drengir at bay. With the idols removed, the Drengir awakened. Along with the arrival of more Nile to the station, a large-scale battle begins with the three factions. Wreath rescues Dez and returns to the station. He is confronted by Nan, who spares his life for saving hers earlier. Wreath opens the airlock, like at the end of Alien and also Aliens, and the Drengir and Nile aboard are destroyed, allowing the vessel crew to escape. Affy takes the information about Bind Public, sending Scover to jail, and making her the owner of the vessel. 
Dez takes a vow of meditation to repair his connection to the Force that was damaged by the torture of the Drengir. Orla Jurani sets off on her own to wayseek across the galaxy, while Wreath selects Komak as his new master. Meanwhile, Nam meets with our boy, Markian Rowe, who vows to end the Jedi as we come to the end of Into the Dark. Nice. <laughs> I tried, man. There is a lot in this story. So I got to say, going into this story, I knew that there was going to be the Drangir. Um, it had been really set up that this was going to be the book that touched on that a little bit. I didn't know that the Nile was going to be such a big part of it as well, which I suppose I should have. They've sort of set up the Nile as like the main villain of the High Republic. Yeah. But having both of those big major villains, that's a lot to develop. <laughs> it's a lot to do. Absolutely. I'm with you. I did not... I was about when the Nile get uh, introduced about halfway through or even three fourths of the way through the book. And I did not anticipate that they were going to be in this at all until I got there. That was a big twist to me. Yes. Plus I'm sure we'll get there, but the character who is the Nile, you know, well, you already mentioned it, you know, non, or I don't know if that's one of the ones where I'm like names. I'm like, is it non or is it Nan? Like I kept saying, like, I kept thinking it was Nan, like Nana. Yeah. <laughs> like little old lady. But I kept saying non like uh, bread. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I, so as the husband of a woman who's four foot 10 and a half, uh, <laughs> I can vouch for the fact that little people are deadly and you should not make them angry. Uh, so, um, you know, perfect height for throat punching if you uh, get out of line, you know, so uh, it, it was, it was fun to have like this sort of small, innocent uh, looking, you know, being who seemed like a kid turn out to be this incredibly vicious uh, person. Yeah. Um, and you said that there was a lot going on with the, the Drengir and the Nile. What I think is kind of neat about this book, and it's the complete opposite of Light of the Jedi, is that all of the action, uh, or at least the majority of it, 75% of this book, takes place in the same location. That's not something we're familiar with with Star Wars stories in general. Usually we're hopping across the galaxy here we take this entire story really takes place on the Maxine station, which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah. And this is going to be probably the main thing that I'll pull from other things I've watched or read, but um, in watching star Wars explained video about this there, it, it made some connections that I didn't make. One of them was that this base is shown in uh, the rise of Kylo Ren and that Snoke is at the, like lives at this base. Oh, snap! Buh, 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 buh. I didn't recognize that either, but yes. Now oh, I told he's in that. Now nah, he's like, Snoke is just sitting with a bunch of flowers and plants. And I'm like, well, that's weird. But now that makes total sense. Yeah. So, what evil person is imbuing these things? You know, I mean, so technically this is later. You know, Snoke's much later. But, um, and then also the Amaxine thing is something that Claudia Gray built into one of her books. So she references back to a lot of stuff she's created in her other books. In this book, in, is that Master and Apprentice? I think so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think Obi Wan and Qui Gon are mixing it up with the Amaxines. Yeah. Yeah. So, some cool, some cool connections. You know, things I didn't really click with right away, but you know, hearing about it later, I'm like, oh dang, man. See, this is why Star Wars is so great. They're so, so good. Hard, at time, <laughs> there was a whole subplot that I left out of my plot summary, by the way, and that's the plot of Comac and Orla kind of the flashback sequences, which I really enjoyed as well. Um, I'm going to tell you why I left them out. They fight giant snakes, and I'm terrified of snakes. So I didn't want to talk about snakes. I hate snakes. Why is it always snakes? Exactly. Just like Indiana Jones, I hate snakes. Um, I did not like the snake sequence in Rise of uh, Skywalker. 
do not like it. Anytime I'm playing a video game and I have to fight a snake, my wife has to do it for me. I don't like snakes. My wife is the same way. And being mm -hmm. a huge Harry Potter fan, that uh, that between Nagini and the uh, the uh, what is it in the second one? I'm not going to even remember right now. Basilisk. Yeah, there we go. The basilisk. Yeah, she was not a fan. She's she's learned to be able to watch those, but that's about it. Can I tell you a, a quick a quick story of, now that you mentioned the basilisk? So I went to been to Universal Studios Harry Potter Land a couple times, and uh, snakes play a large part in Harry Potter. I'm well aware of that, but. Um, I was going on the ride, the Hogwarts ride, which is like a roller coaster inside of Hogwarts. Have you been? No. Dr okay. Dream trip. <laughs> it's awesome, by the way. It's really, really cool. But there's a roller coaster, kind of 3D roller coaster inside of Hogwarts. And I was there with my wife. And we were there with two of our friends who, have, who live in Florida. So they've, they've been to the Harry Potter land a bunch of times. And I turned to them as we're about to get on the ride. I'm like, do you think there's any snakes on this ride? And they're like, no, no, there's no snakes. They're, you know, it's cool. There's no snakes. I'm like, are you sure? Because Harry Potter, this is like a ton of snakes. So they're like, no, there's no snakes. So um, I'm going to spoil part of that ride. You go into the Chamber of the Secret, a Chamber of Secrets, very early on, and the track, the roller coaster track, goes right down the mouth of the basilisk. Nice. So a huge room-sized basilisk, and you go right into it. And I cried and screamed <laughs> and hated it. And uh, now, whenever I go on any rides, no matter what it is, Brian, no matter what, it's if it, it's a small world after all, I look up if there's snakes on that ride, seriously. So there's rides that I've never been on and will never go on. The Indiana Jones ride in Disneyland has a giant snake, will never ever go on that. And I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan. Um, the Jungle Cruise, don't go on that because there's a snake. Don't go on the other Harry Potter ride um, because you fight Nagini, the one in Gringotts. So yeah, I'm so terrified of snakes and um, that experience specifically scarred me for life. So anyway, taking it back, um, <laughs> this is a lot. I didn't mention it. It is very vital to the story, but I just could not fit it in. And also they fight snakes and I didn't like that. On the plus side, they dispatch them very handily. So that's nice. They did, but they fight a lot of them. Yes. I will, I will say I, one more very quick aside. Valentine's Day one year, my wife and I went to a fancy restaurant in Fort Worth, and we had rabbit and rattlesnake sausage, and she's terrified of snakes. And she was like, I do not want to eat this. And I was like, just think of it as like you're getting back at them for all the years of torture. And uh, <laughs> so we ate rabbit and rattlesnake sausage, and it was delicious. Rabbit and rattlesnake? Yeah, yeah, because we're in Texas, and that's how we do. Okay. Um, Got it. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I uh, I would never eat snake. No, yeah, no, I'd I'd be afraid it would like come alive and lay eggs in my stomach because you know all the other meat I've ever eaten in my life that's ha that's never happened. But snake, it probably would. Right. <laughs> okay, so while we when you were given the plot summary, there was something that popped into my head that I had never thought about, which was it had to do with the word Drengear. Like I'm a fan of words, right? We've talked about this before you know, and, and how names are often really important. Now, whether this was intentional or not, it made a connection in my head. And that may just mean that I have problems and need, you know, help. But, um, the word Drangir, the, the ending of that with the I R reminds me of one spelling of vampire, like vampire. Right. Mm -hmm. And interesting that they have like an unquenchable, you know, hunger as well. So uh, don't know if that's important, you know, on t intentional or if that's just me making unnecessary connections, but uh, you know, 
Ray Bradbury once said that symbolism is a subconscious work and that we all are going to make different connections and that's okay. So if Ray Bradbury says it, I'm going with it. You are a word nerd. I'm going to coin that for you. Get Put that on a shirt, send it over with a Nintendo Switch and a Game Boy to you. <laughs> Bring it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> when, when is your birthday? I will send all those things over to you. It is in May. <laughs> oh, darn. I'm busy that month. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about the Drain Gear. I think that they're the biggest addition to, well, maybe, yeah, yeah, I would say the biggest addition to canon that comes out of this book. Um, we had heard kind of mumblings about them. We have seen kind of a hint of them in Marvel issue number two when, um, I don't remember if it was Terok or Seret gets kind of uh, adopted. I think that's probably the Drain Gear. Do we think that's that's what happened there? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, we're not sure yet. If they have any ties to the Nile in this book, it doesn't seem like they do. Or if this is just going to be kind of another obstacle for the Jedi to overcome while they're trying to take down the Nile. Hey, there's this really angry uh, species uh, or race that's over here uh, who just woke up and is really pissed. Um, any initial thoughts and how do you think this is all going to tie together? Or what do you think? Number one, I'm really hoping at some point somebody says, a shrubbery? And... <laughs> <laughs> I'm really hoping that happens in something. <laughs> um, but number two is, uh, there, well, man, there's so much to say about these things. I don't, I don't know how they're going to connect in, but I do think in many ways they are a much darker, scarier bad guy than the Nile. Um, and, and that's, so I'm, I'm interested to see how they continue to build up the Nile. But to me, I'm much more intimidated by the the Drengir, uh for a lot of reasons for the Jedi than I am of the Nile. Interesting. Why? Well, let's start with number one. They talk about how they have a deep, dark force presence, um, and and they talk about that a lot. This it's like an oppressively malevolent uh, connection with the dark force. So we don't know where that comes from yet, right? Um, so but until we get more of the history, it's just this mysterious dark side connection. And we don't have a dark side of the force really being represented yet, uh, very much in the story because we're not battling the Sith for the first time in forever, you know? Um, so although the Sith are still mentioned, uh, several times in the book, um, it'll be really interesting to see where that comes from. Number two, uh, lightsabers don't work on them. So, yeah. yeah. So this is a, a, a villain that, as far as we can tell right now, cannot be physically bested, um, like in combat. There are things that did work a little, but for the most part, everything they did, the Dringir just kind of shrugged off and like laughed and continued their attack. Number three, it talks about how they have a number of different like thorns that can do kind of different things, and they're basically torturing uh des right was it des yeah yes, yep. I'm, I'm terrible with names but they're torturing des like keeping him in pain and and out of his mind uh to the degree that they're able you know to basically make him do whatever they want just out of a desire to be free from the pain and yep. to best a jedi like that is and, and a jedi who has high esteem who's praised throughout the galaxy that's no small feat and uh, so there's a there's a lot, and and we're not sure yet uh, whether they respond to the 
like whether they're in the, the force has any impact on them. Like, um, Wreath tries to use Jedi mind tricks and like, you know, make them do what he wants and they do it, but we don't know if they did it because he said it or they did it because they wanted to. It kind of seems like the second. Sure. So it's like all the best weapons that the Jedi typically have don't do squat. Yeah. And, um, I think it was really telling the, the, the three idols that were aboard the ship too were there to keep the Drangir kind of in captivity. That's something cool that I don't know we've seen anything like that in Star Wars, where there's a physical item, I'm thinking like of a Horcrux, right? Because going back to Harry Potter, like that's actually keeping evil at bay. And that's kind of what I was thinking the entire time. So who put those there? And and how did they get there? And it was it a Jedi previously or someone with, who was Force-sensitive who kind of, I don't want to say did a spell, but did whatever they needed to do to keep the Drengear there. So interesting. I'm really interested to see how these characters develop. Um, they are a formidable foe. Um, I like the Nile a lot, but I think that the Nile are, you know, they're, they're people or, or they're, they're beings that can be destroyed by a lightsaber if it comes to it. Where to your point, the Drengear are not. It's like fighting Swamp Thing and he just, it just keeps regenerating. And, and no matter what you do to him, he's going to keep coming back. That's what I kind of thought they look like too, is Swamp Thing. In my mind, I was picturing Swamp Thing. Yeah, and, and the picture that you've got is not too far off of that, really. I mean, you could definitely see Swamp Thing looking like that in combat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So they're really cool. Um, I'm wondering, that I, I don't always want to go down the fan theories, but this, you know, we can also do that because it's our show and I don't really care. Um if if Marky and Roe or Marky and Roe is going to somehow use this this group to his advantage in some way, um, if they're gonna if there's gonna be like a supervillain team up, because my my comic book storytelling tells me that if there's two villains, they're gonna team up against the hero at some point in time. So wondering if that's that's what's gonna happen here. I, I think that would just really stack the odds against the Jedi. Well, and right now the Jedi already played them against one another, so that could be a good enough reason for them to join forces forces in some way. It just depends on what is more powerful to the Drengir, their desire for uh, revenge against the Jedi who just killed a bunch of them and trapped them again and, and did all that stuff, or their hunger. Yeah. Um, and I also want a prequel about the Amaxine station, where it's just the Amaxine people fighting the Drengir, because that sounds fun too. It does. Yeah, it'd be really it's interesting. It's the worst thing of where I want everything. I want to know everything about everything. Absolutely. Q Veruca Salt. Don't <laughs> care how I want it now. Man, that's a deep, that's not a deep reference, but that's a good reference there. <laughs> yes, and I apologize for my singing voice, but it's all I got. <laughs> oh, good. Um, I think the other big group that we meet here that is new is the Bine, um, what are they called? The Bine... Bine Guild? Bine Guild, yeah. So they're a, kind of like a smuggler's guild, and uh, they reminded me of, you read the Poe Dameron Freefall book, they reminded me of that crew. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're not, I mean, they're, they're, they're spice runners, you know, yeah. and, uh, and... Medical uh, spice runners. Medical spice runners. <laughs> For sure, right? For sure. This is a book that would not have worked 20 years ago when we didn't have, you know, dispensaries all over the country and that kind of stuff, right? Yes, I like that. I like that. That was a very modern, 
feeling to the book. And I, I thought that was funny when he keeps insisting that they're, um, you know, it's medical spice. And we even see it. They, they use it near the end of the book to uh, help Des. And I thought that was great. Absolutely. And and to be honest, Leox is such a great character. And I mean, all, all of them are. Leox, is it Affy? Right. Yep. And, and, and Geode, Geode definitely. <laughs> well, Geode's having his own month long special here on the Starlight Beacon podcast, guys. <laughs> we definitely have to get to that. But, but they're all, so, every character in this story, there wasn't one character that I was like, meh, you can get rid of that one. I really liked all the characters. Absolutely. Um, I'm a big Douglas Adams fan, a huge fan of Hitchhiker's Guide. That's kind of outside of like Star Wars, my favorite like book series. I was just getting, I don't know, anytime like Leox and Affy and Geo, like they're that weird quirkiness, um, kind of really felt Douglas Adamsy to me. I was like, oh, he kind of feels like Zaphoy Beelzebrox. Um, I don't know if that's the picture that they're going for, but that's how I interpret it. He was just quirky, kind of out there. And the actor that I would cast to play Leox in a movie, I know he's already been in Star Wars, but I envisioned him the entire time as Woody Harrelson. I don't know why, that's just who I envisioned him as. Well, I know that Claudia Gray based him off of 1990s Matthew McConaughey. And, okay, so there you go. But, I mean, he's not my 1990s Matthew McConaughey anymore. He's much older, you know, yeah. so McConaughey couldn't play him. But I definitely, I got that vibe when I read him, the the, the dazed and confused Matthew McConaughey, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could definitely see Woody Harrelson playing him, too. And if you're going to go with a uh, Hitchhiker's Guide reference, does that make Geode Marvin? Yes, totally. <laughs> <laughs> we're just burying the lead. I feel like we're just going to keep pushing off talking about Geode until the time is right. Cause I feel like the time needs to be right for that. Um, if we want, we could probably jump into the characters. If you want to do that now, if you want to continue talking about plot, what do you think? Uh, let's talk, let's talk characters. Cause the plot kind of comes as we talk characters, I think. And, and the, to, I don't know about you. So I, I love the plots of star Wars books, but characters are what make me come back. Sure. So I'm not going to pick up, you know, like I'm not going to pick up a third book about Padme if I don't care about Padme. So, um, and, and I would say that there are some people that are like, I don't care about Padme. So why? <laughs> but, uh, but for me, I love all the characters in star Wars and this is definitely one of them. And so, um, if you don't mind, let's, let's start by talking about Wreath. I know you're, you're chomping at the bit to talk about Wreath cause he's a librarian Jedi. Well, sort of desires to be a librarian Jedi. And I got, I, I want to say, first of all, that one of the things I loved about him, so all of our characters, all of the characters that these books are after, they're like exceptional Jedi, right? Like they're just remarkable in one way or another. And Reef is, but what I love is he is not a naturally remarkable Jedi. He is a remarkable Jedi because he puts hours and hours and hours and hours in study and practice. Um, and there are definitely things... That he so like with uh, with Light of the Jedi, we have Bell who has a hard time softening his landing, um, but that's that seems like everybody would have that issue. Whereas for Reith, it feels like some of the things that are really hard for him are things that seem to come naturally for most other Jedi, and I I really liked that, and I thought that was very in, an inclusive way to connect to people who often feel like they're less able than their peers. Um, and so for a YA book, that's really valuable because YA books, most teenagers, I think, feel like the outcast and they need to have someone that feels like them. And so that that's kind of fun. 
Yeah, and Reith is another one of these kind of 15 to 20 year old Jedi, either Padawans or new Jedi Knights that have seemingly been the central characters so far in the High Republic. And we've talked a lot about them. Um, you mentioned Bell. Um, now I can't remember literally any of their other names, so I'm sorry. But, but you know what I'm talking about. Every comic or story so far has had that central character who's been um, just on the cusp of being a Padawan to Jedi Knight. And I think that's, that's great world building and great building for the future of the High Republic. But he is... Uh, he is uh, probably the one I, I've I've liked the most. I like his character a lot. I think he has a ton of character growth throughout the story. Um, but he also feels like almost the most teenager one. I referenced it early on. Like he goes to a party and it's like a Jedi house party that he almost goes to. And he gets drunk. We've never seen that before in a Star Wars story where, uh, you know, someone first of all, gets drunk, but it's a teenager going to a party that, and I, like, that's a relatable experience for actual teenagers. Um, I thought that was interesting. You know, I really liked that they brought that aspect into it, kind of humanizing the Jedi a little bit. Um, we talked about that in Light of the Jedi, how some of the, the more senior Jedi, like Avar, Chris, um, feel a little bit, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, not cold. I couldn't think of it last time either. I think we could, I don't know what it is either, but I think we got it. Yeah, you got my point. But the, the, the younger Jedi have a lot more personality. So I like that. Uh, I like that scene specifically. Um, Reese is a cool character. I like the, the kind of story he goes through of early on not wanting to really even leave home. Relatable for me. I'm the type of person who, yeah, I'd rather just sit at home and read a book than, than go somewhere most of the time. Um, and by the end of the story, he's willing to sacrifice his life to save his friends. Um, awesome character growth there. And he, and he, he's a, he's a foil, you know, he's the, the sort of the opposite in a lot of ways of what we see in most young Jedi who are eager to go on adventures, eager to make a name for themselves. He has no desire to do that. He just wants to understand things better, to know the world better. And, um, and I think that's, again, something that's really charming about his particular character um, and different about his character. And then we get into later something that's sort of become commonplace for us almost now already in the High Republic books. And I apologize if you're hearing it, the neighborhood dogs seem to be going crazy. Okay. Um, uh, is. That's right. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, um, but the, um, he loses his, his master, you know? Yep. So uh, this High Republic set of books is dealing with grief in a way that I don't feel like, the Star Wars stories have ever done as well. We've had grief, you know, the, the, the anguish of Obi-Wan when he says, you are my brother, you know, we've had, and, 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 you know, uh, Padme, when she says you're going in a direction I can't follow. Um, but this feels different for grief and it feels like it's more frequently addressed. We also see it in that subplot that you didn't really talk about very much a lot with the, um, with uh, was it Cormac who lost his master as well? Um, you know, 25 years before. So uh, I really, really value that as well, because I feel like we as a society need to get better at dealing with grief. And the more we read that, the more we can. So look in my defense and all apologies to Claudia Gray. There's a lot of stuff in this book. We can't talk about everything in the plot. For sure. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> I but just wanted to go ahead. Sorry. No, I just wanted to put that out there and not think I was like trying to skip on the plot summary. There's just, I, there's a lot in this book. 
Well, and tying back to what you said about him being the most YA, we also have him mention how he misses his friends, Vernestra and Emery. So we have that really strong connection to Justina Ireland's book too, which is really cool. Let's talk about sex. Baby. <laughs> there you go. I was, I was throwing that up there. It's the first time that uh, straight up sexual intercourse is referenced in a Star Wars story to my knowledge. Cannot remember any other time, at least in the new canon, that they reference sexual intercourse. And they paint the picture that Jedi can have a physical relationship with someone, but they cannot have any attachments or feelings to that person. So basically the Jedi are having a bunch of one night stands. I thought that was very interesting. We've kind of always been under the impression Jedi are just kind of maybe celibate or just don't have any type of, of relationship in that way. But this book says it tells a different story where Jedi do have physical relationships, but they don't have any emotional attachment there. That was an interesting take. Um, an interesting uh, addition to the kind of the Jedi lore there that I, I wasn't ready for. I did not know that it was coming. So, so first of all, I feel like either Obi-Wan or Anakin are both like super pissed right now, like rolling over in their Jedi graves or whatever, <laughs> or, or there was some stuff going on that we didn't know about. Obviously Anakin, we knew about, but <laughs> like, Obi I mean, Obi-Wan was really close with uh, Duchess Satine. Right. So uh, is there an is there a child of Obi Wan in, in an upcoming Claudia Gray book that we're going to get to to read? I, I'd be down for that. <laughs> I mean, if you if you read the internet in 2015, Ray is that child of Obi Wan. So, right, and and probably there are people that are still hanging on to that because they don't want to accept she's a Palpatine. <laughs> but I just thought that was interesting. Like this, you know, Claudia Gray adds so much to the canon already. And she just comes right out and says stuff like that, where she just says, oh, yeah, Jedi can have sex. They just, you know, can't be in a relationship. They're just a bunch of one-night stands. Um, it was interesting. I don't want to make a huge deal of it, and we don't need to talk about it, but I thought that that was, you know, I'm going to use the word interesting for the third time, so I apologize. Yeah, it, and, and I think it's one thing that we may see. I, I don't know how much they're going to build on that specific thing, but it does say something, again, about the way they view relationships, which continues to be problematic from forever. Like right. it is impossible to meet and, and know people and not have connections. So it's, it's something that the Jedi do poorly and wrong. Yeah. We've talked about that. The Jedi order seems to have a lot of flaws. Um, and more than anything, that's probably what drove Anakin to the dark side is the, the fact that he wanted to be open with his relationship and that was forbidden. And uh, you know, that's what caused him to eventually fall to the dark side is his love for Padme. So uh, maybe that's something that, you know, when Rey starts up her new Jedi order, she's like, yeah, you can date people. It's cool. No worries about it. Maybe. Could be. <laughs> when we'll see that in the episode, uh, episode 10, 11 and 12, the Rey trilogy uh, in 15 years that we're probably going to get. Um, let's see what else we got going on in this book. Uh, we talked about Reef. I think the other probably central character to the story um, is Affy. And I found her her storyline actually really compelling. She is uh, an employee of the Bind Guild. She's on the vessel with Leox and Geode um, as the co-pilot there. Um, in the traditional Star Wars um, storytelling, her parents are no longer alive. Um, they died on a mission that we soon find out was they were trying. They were put at risk by Scover um, using the Maxine system to to travel 
fat, you know, travel quickly throughout uh, the galaxy um, to try and cut corners and save some money there. Um, thought she had a really compelling story. I, I liked her. And one of the things that they talked about when they introduced the High Republic is that we're not going to just be spending time with Jedi. We're going to have characters that are, are not Jedi that we're going to spend time with that are going to have their own stories. And um, so far, it's been all Jedi focused. So I think that this group, group here of the vessel and specifically Affy is probably a character we're going to revisit. I agree. And I think that from what I can tell from what I've heard Claudia Gray say, I think that the crew of the vessel, she likes them more than the Jedi characters that she wrote about. I think that they're higher on her list. So I would not, I would definitely expect her to write more of them. I agree with her. <laughs> I was, I'll just be honest. And we're being honest and being transparent today. I was getting a little burnt out on meeting so many new Jedis in like all this storytelling we're getting. Uh, in the past two months that we've gotten. It's been a lot, and there's a lot of new characters, and it almost was refreshing to, to have this crew of the vessel because they were so entertaining and so different than than the the righteous Jedi that we've been spending a lot of time with. So I agree with you, Claudia Gray. Let's have another story about the vessel because they were awesome. Geode, man, we'll get to talk. We'll talk about Geode eventually, I'm sure, but Geode is great. Well, and and she, I think what she did that was great that we didn't, I don't know, maybe, maybe you can speak to this, but I feel like when she wrote about the other Jedi, she really tried to create a diverse range of Jedi in this. We have the, was it Wayseeker or Wayfinder or whatever with Orla Jereni. We have, uh, you know, Cormac, who's very like serious and, and, you know, focused or whatever. We have Dez, who's more of the adventurer, you know, um, you know, swashbuckler, you know, in a way. And then we have, you know, Wreath, who's very, very different and, and very, you know, sort of introverted in a way. And so there's a, a wide range and there's a lot to learn about Jedi from her characters. Uh, so she did a great job with that. But definitely the most interesting and fun characters are the, the crew of, of the vessel. And she did a good job with Affy having to decide between, am I going to support my sort of adoptive mother who runs this guild? Or am I going to do what's right for the galaxy and, and what's right in honor of my real parents? And what a difficult choice for anyone to make, but especially a young, a young child, you know, a teenager or whatever. Um, so um, it, a really cool way to go forward where you have this heartwarming, serious, beautiful story. And then you also have the personalities that bring the fun in. So the other character that I was drawn to, other than Des, I like Des a lot, and I wish we had gotten him fleshed out some more. Um, but the other character that I think I'd like to see more of is Nan. I, I liked her character. I like the idea, like you said, this vicious, young, small in stature, but big in personality uh, character um, and member of the Nile who seems like she's had this encounter now with Wreath. She has some sort of relationship, um, whether that's good or bad, but she has a relationship with him where, all right, we you saved my life. I saved your life but I had this encounter and you better hope that we don't encounter each other again. But then she talks with Martian Rowe and he says, Hey, we're going to destroy the Jedi. I feel like she's going to play a part uh, going forward for the Nile. And I'm excited for that because it's a different perspective, a different type of Nile character than we've had so far. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and something very sinister about someone who can be so innocent and then flip a switch. Yeah. I mean, she's like the, the only Nile we've really gotten to know on a personal level and that the characters in the high Republic have gotten to know. Reef 
builds a relationship with her. So I feel like she'll pop up some more as we get, get this continued storytelling of the Vessel crew. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. And then there's Geode, but we'll get to Geode. I'm sure we'll get to Geode sometime. We'll probably talk about Geode, right? Probably. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Geode's real important. We don't want to forget Geode. We will get back to Geode. We'll get back to Geode for sure. So the other Jedi um, that are tagging along with Reef and the crew here, we have Dez. And not a lot to say about Dez. I think you, you summed it up perfectly. He's a swashbuckler there. Um, do wish we learned more about him because I, I did like the character. Then we have Comac and Orla. And I want to talk about Orla because she is uh, what they call a way seeker. She's distanced herself from the Jedi Order, but still considers herself a Jedi, has that strong connection to the Force. But it's, I interpreted it as she's just trying to figure out how, how the Force works for her and how, what being a Jedi means for her and, and kind of existing in tandem with the Jedi Order, but outside of the Jedi Order. Um, they didn't go into a ton of detail what that way sec- seeker meant, that's how I interpreted it. What did you think? Well, I'm going to make a little bit of a religious connection again, as, as I as I do. But for me, it, it, what I especially thought was powerful is that it's someone who continues to maintain their faith in the Force, but who maybe thinks that the the organized, <laughs> the you know, for lack of a better word, the organized Church of the Jedi um, is problematic. That they um, have demands and expectations that. Uh, don't line up with the truth and the reality of the force. And, uh, and, and that's a powerful idea. You know, we see other characters like that, you know, in other star Wars books, uh, don't we have in dark disciple, a character who's kind of like that. Um, uh, 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 Voss, uh, last name is Voss. And now I'm, now I'm forgetting it. It's not Dryden Voss. It's, uh, Oh, people love him too, and he's like everyone's favorite Jedi, and he's got long hair, and he's kind of hunky. What is his name? Uh, Quinlan Voss. Quinlan Voss. Yes, that's it. He was a background character in Phantom Menace. Yeah, so I feel like he, in some ways, is kind of like that character, and I, I, I dig that. Um, I think that's cool, and and what I think is cool too is that you know the the Jedi are accepting of it. They're, you know, they could be like, no, you're either a part of us or you're not a Jedi, you know, but they're kind of like everybody needs to do what they feel is right with the force, you know? And so that's, it's interesting. I'm interested to see how that plays out as they continue to cross paths in the future. I'm guessing there's things she'll do that the, the Jedi council will disapprove of. Um, certainly things the Jedi council will do that she'll disapprove of. Um, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely interested to see where that goes. And we get a little bit of that, you know, where that started for her in those flashbacks when she felt the force lead her to go one way and they told her, no, this is what you're going to do. And somebody lost their life as a result of it. So I think the most prominent character in star Wars lore who has that struggle would be Qui-Gon. And, um, you know, he seems to, to disagree a lot with what the Jedi council and Jedi order, um, says but he still is a jedi and still is a a follower of the force and i wondering if he would have ended up being one of those way seekers or if that was a path that he would would have gone down why that's just such a great character well and and what's interesting with him is they say that's exactly why we need you to be a part of the council and a part of the jedi is we need someone who disagrees with us uh which i really value um in one of john f kennedy's uh 
State of the Union speeches, he talked about how that's something that's so important to leadership to have, you know, people who disagree with you. And um, and so I, I really value that. But I don't know that they felt for some reason we don't get that same comment with her. They're just kind of like, OK, enjoy your trip. <laughs> be, you know, yeah. May the force be with you. It's a very forgiving Jedi Council um, who seem to have a lot of leniency. Like there's uh, I think she's the one who says like, oh, Reef hasn't been around the council long enough to know, like, we're in trouble, but we're not really that in trouble for doing what they do. Like her and Colmec find ways to to still do what they want to do. Like when they, they go back to the Maxine station, they're like, well, they never said we can't go. They just said, don't you know, they said I don't remember what they said, but they're like, we never said we can't go back. You know what I mean? So they find ways around it. And the Jedi is kind of like. When they come back at the end and they're doing their debrief, they're like, yeah, well, you know, we, you probably shouldn't have went, but uh, you found out some good stuff and you uh, you helped some people out. So, okay, you're fine. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Also, something that we have to talk about with Orla is her lightsaber. Because she has a double-bladed hinged lightsaber like Dark Ray. Yep. And, and they talk about her using it without, like the way it sounds when they talk about her using it is that she doesn't flip it to be a like a, a Darth Maul lightsaber. Like she's using both blades. Side by side. Yeah. Side by side. And I'm like, how weird. And how do you even hold that? Like I want to see her in action now because I want to see how that would work. The lightsabers in, in this High Republic um, story so far have been awesome. We've gotten so many cool lightsabers. The light whip, um, double bladed lightsabers, all sorts of neat stuff. Um, any other characters you think would be worth mentioning um, and talking about? I mean, Geode, yeah, we'll probably get to Geode eventually, right? So we'll save him for the end. But anybody else that was valuable to talk about? Let me let me say with Des, one of the things I thought was so interesting, too, and apparently this has also shown up somewhere in canon, and I, I, I watched where it was, but I forgot, but is Des taking that vow at the end? Uh, very interesting. I have never read anything like that, or if I have, I guess I forgot, or it was brief or something like that. Um, but he takes this this vow of basically like it's almost like he's becoming you know they call the Jedi monks all throughout it but it's almost like he's becoming like a monk right. legitimately where he's like I'm gonna dive deeper into the Force to try and heal this and so you get this character who's known for going on adventures and and like you know saving the galaxy and all this kind of stuff who is now like I need to really stop and and just be still and press in and i'm really interested to see is that a lifetime vow is you know it, can he heal and then move on or what does that look like yeah and they said in the story that some jedi go on this take this vow or this go this go on this meditation for years or decades before they can reconnect with the force like that um which is interesting uh also going back to the drangir and, and the the threat that they pose they took a, as you mentioned, an established strong Jedi Knight and destroyed his connection to the Force. And I don't know if they did that knowingly, but the fact that that's something they can do is 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 threatening. Yeah, for sure. One more reason to be afraid of the plant vampires. <laughs> I think they're pretty cool. And they kept saying they want, they want meat. And I'm like, oh, these things are terrifying. They're very, very scary. They're like... Uh... Is it Sydney from Little Shop of Horrors? They're like Sydney on steroids. Like, feed me. What is the name of that? I just watched Little Shop of Horrors. Seymour. Seymour. There we go. That's right. Yeah. That's not the plant's name. I don't know. We're we're terrible. 
I haven't anyway, seen Wars ever, so I don't know. Anyway, Leox says skedaddle. There's a lot of witty banter. And my last question for you, the last thing I wanted to talk about, why do you think this book was called Into the Dark? What does the title mean? Well, um, when they go into the station, they feel the darkness. Uh, so they're going into the dark the further they dive into it. There's literal darkness in the station when they go to different areas of it. Um, we have the introduction of the dark side of the force to the High Republic. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's... And even just Wreath um, wrestling with the darkness within himself... Not the way that like Emery does in Test of Courage, but he is someone who in many ways is like a pacifist. And so like he, you know, he saves Non, or so he thinks, and cuts off that dude's arm. And man, it, he really feels the weight of that and doesn't know how, like it talks about him wrestling with that afterwards. And uh uh, for me, as someone who really abhors violence, I really connected to that as well. Just the idea of like, if I had to commit violence to protect someone, there's, you know, I don't know what I'd do until I'm in that situation, I guess, but I would really feel the consequences of it afterwards if I, you know, so I think as a husband and father, I've thought through that some, um, and that's a darkness inside of me that I wrestle with, so. Any final thoughts on Claudia Gray's Into the Dark? Oh, uh, other than it being my favorite book in the new in, in the High Republic so far, um, which we which you can definitely respond to, I would just say that Geode is dope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, Geode. We said we were going to talk about you. You might get your own month. We might do a spinoff podcast just about Geode. Maybe my favorite Star Wars character ever. And like you said, this is your favorite book. This is not my favorite book so far in High Republic. I think Light of the Jedi is my favorite. But I have to give it to Claudia Gray because the way she wrote Geode was so expertly done. She wrote that character so amazing. And like, you're like, okay, I'm bought into this. I totally get it. And I, it's hard for me to explain, but like she just did, added so much humor. But like, just did it so well. I love that character, man. And and can I say too, aside from Geode, but like even the way she built Geode is kind of the same way she built the rest of the novel. But she, this novel to me is the first Star Wars book that felt a little bit like a, a horror film. Sure. In a way. And and the way, so I the book, the first books that I ever read as a kid for myself were a series of books called uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents the Three Investigators, which was like, the Hardy Boys, but with supernatural dark stuff. And mm -hmm. then I read, you know, I grew up reading like R.L. Stein's Fear Street books and Christopher Pike and Steve, Stephen King and all that. Really liked those kind of books when I was younger. And so this was one of those books where there's this like sort of menacing terror and you don't know what it is throughout the book. And so it was fun to have a book that in a way felt like a different genre as well. It's still sci-fi, but we've got that horror feel. Absolutely. Uh, this is a great mix of sci-fi, horror. There's the humor in there. Like I felt like a lot of the stuff with the Vessel crew was just a little bit more lighthearted and um, brought that levity to that that really growing sense of dread that you just referenced. So overall, I think this is an excellent book. Claudia Gray, um, we, we could just praise her all the time, but she's, what, was this her fifth Star Wars book? 
and she's five for five in my in my my opinion on just knocking out of the park with with terrific Star Wars content. Um, I know that one of the Star Wars shows that I watch uh, with Christian Harloff, I don't know if you've watched like Force Center or Collider videos, he was for a long time lobbying that Claudia Gray should write a Star Wars movie or show. And I am 100% on board with that idea because she, she gets the material. She can balance the sci-fi with the lore, with the um, mysticism, with the humor, with the romance, with the grief. Like she, it just balances everything so perfectly. And this book is just another example of that. 12 out of four stars. 12 out of four stars is four like the high is, is that is that a rating scale i usually go on a five rating scale myself i i, I don't know because i'm a, a teacher an english teacher math is hard so that's just my <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully you don't ever have to like do they ever do this in school i don't i never thought of this before if they can't find a sub will they just sub with other teachers like hey brian you gotta go uh you gotta go teach math today does that ever happen Oh yeah, often and and especially right now with COVID, it's really hard to have subs. Yeah. So I have been a sub this year for another English class. I've been a sub for special ed. I've been a sub for advanced quantitative reasoning, <laughs> so, oh boy. which which is a math class. And they were like, "So how do we do this?" And I was like, "Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, do your best." <laughs> so. The teacher comes back and she, you know, she fixes things. That's not a normal practice in our public schools, but just this year, especially with COVID, uh, not a lot of people want to sub. So. So 12 out of four stars for Into the Dark for uh, Starlight Beacon here, Brian and myself. Um, just want to thank uh, Taj Motel Trio for helping us out with our theme song. want to thank everybody who's interacting with us on social media, um, on our Facebook and Instagram pages. Um, like, comment, and review, share our stuff, uh, leave us a review on iTunes or any, wherever else you listen to podcasts. Um, tell us how funny we are and how amazing we are and how Monster Squad is better than Goonies. And that's all I got, Brian. What do you got? Uh, I guess we should tell them where they, did, did we talk about where they can find us individually on social media? I am on social media. First of all, you can find us on, on Instagram and Facebook. And then you can also find, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to plug myself here, the Rudy yeah. Librarian. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And, and I do uh, book talks three times a week. And then two times a week, I just kind of talk about whatever I feel like talking about, which a lot of times is music or vinyl um, or, you know, literature. Um, and then uh, I have a, another podcast that I just started uh, called The Stuffing. We only have one episode out. Um, where me and my, my best friend talk about music and movies that we like. So we, we talked about the album Homecoming by the band Craig's Brother, uh, which we really enjoyed. Uh, Gary, you've got another podcast. Uh, you want to plug that one real quick? I do, yes. I have a podcast called The Monster Rally Podcast, where we discuss the classic universal horror movies of the 30s, 40s, 50s. This week, the same week that this episode of High Repub uh, Starlight Beacon comes out, forgot the name of our show again, <laughs> we will be covering The Invisible Man from 1933 starring Claude Rains. It's really good. That's a great movie, by the way. Um, so, yeah, check us out. We're busy guys, apparently, always doing other stuff. I watch uh, Brian's Ruby Librarian YouTube videos every morning when I get to work because he puts out a new one every day, and it, I love them, so please keep doing them. Um, I also play in a band, Backyard Superheroes. We are in the process of writing a new album. Just announced that to the world for the first time. I don't think anyone wants to do that. And we have a new single coming out soon, so I'll be sure to talk about that. 
But uh, yeah, thanks for spending some time with us. Higher public stuff. Uh, we just have comics for the next few weeks. So we'll have some creative discussions um, about uh, what our overall thoughts so far about the higher public are. And maybe we'll branch out a little bit and talk more about uh, Star Wars in general um, on some episodes. But comics are still coming every month. And then um, right around the corner is kind of our next next drop of, of High Republic stories. We have uh, three books coming out this summer. And then we have the manga coming out in June. So a lot more to come. Can't wait. Loving everything we've got so far. And keep your uh, ears peeled because eventually we will talk Geode. Yes, there will be that Geode episode. It's coming, guys. It's, it's, it's coming. Um, all right. So for Brian, this is Gary. And until next time, we are all the Republic. I don't know why I said it like that, but I did. <laughs>